0: It's impossible to have a cogent health policy without data for mental health and use of addictive or illegal substances. That's where the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration comes in. Its annual survey of Americans' use of alcohol, tobacco, and drugs makes for a sometimes grim but useful picture. Here with how they go about this annual survey, SAMHSA's National Study Director, Jennifer Honig. Ms. Honig, good to have you with us. Thank you. And tell us about this study. It's every year, and we can talk briefly about the results as we get into this. But how do you go about getting this information about what we're taking, what we're swallowing, what we're drinking, what we're ingesting?
1: Thank you. I'm pleased to join you today to talk about the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, or NISDA, as we call it. And NISDA is designed to provide a nationally representative data on the use of tobacco, alcohol, illicit drugs, or other substances, substance use disorders receipt of substance use treatment mental health issues and use of mental health services among the civilian non-institutionalized population 12 or over in the u.s and we employ a probability sample designed to be representative of the nation as a whole but also for all of the 50 states and the district of columbia and the 2021 NISDA used multi-mode data collection throughout the year prior to quarter four of 2020 All interviewing in NISDA was done entirely in person, but the COVID-19 pandemic necessitated methodological changes to our survey. We now collect data via in-person interviews and also via web surveys. And in 2021, eligibility of areas for in-person data collection commenced in areas that were deemed to be safe, based on state and county level COVID metrics.
0: Let me ask you this, when you are interviewing people By whatever means, how do you know that the sample is projectable? For example, just the first stat in here in the summary, Mm -hmm. 57.8% or 161.8 million people used tobacco, alcohol, or an illicit drug in the past month, therefore current use. How do you avoid self-selection or making sure that the numbers, if you interview 20 people to project over 1,000, that those Mm -hmm. are projectable, that sample?
1: That's a great question. So it really has to do with the design of the survey and the actual sampling frame. And without getting too detailed into the exact specifics of it, we have things called SSRs which are divided across 750 across the country and that really serves as one of our main sampling frames and from that we do go into smaller geographic units to make sure we're really getting representative of all areas of the u.s so we are in rural areas we are in suburban areas and we are in urban areas and then all like i said through in person or web in 2021 depending on um, what the participant chooses
0: Right. You have to be careful not to go to AA meetings to sample people or to bar rooms, for example.
1: Yes. It all comes to their homes. So all participants are mailed a, what we call a lead letter. And in that lead letter, there is a link and a unique participant code to take the survey. Now, from there, someone will go in, they'll complete the screening, which is the first step. And if they are selected, they will take the interview via the web, but they can also Say, you know what, I'd rather an in-person professional interviewer come to my home and they can call that number on the lead letter to request that. And then a person would go to their home and via a uh, computer laptop, I'm using a system called a CASI, they would take that survey.
0: Interesting. All right. And I guess the question is now let's talk about the results briefly. Any important trends that have emerged in the last couple of years in the survey because of the pandemic, I guess, would be one of the driving factors in American behavior on many domains. How has it affected substance abuse and mental health?
1: So that is a really great question. And unfortunately, in terms of trends for 2021, we cannot compare 2021 data to previous years of data because of methodological considerations that I I spoke of earlier. So we found that through analyses conducted, um, in-person samples do vary from those multi-mode web and in-person, so we can really only speak to 2021 this year. But I can say that for 2021, we did find that many people who perceive that they ever had problems with their substance use or mental health did perceive themselves to currently be in recovery.
0: Interesting. We're speaking with Jennifer Honig. She's National Study Director at the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. So people saying they're in recovery indicates they felt they had a problem prior to that statement.
1: Yes. So it's a two-step question. We first ask people if they feel they've ever had a substance use problem or did you ever feel you had issues with your mental health? And if they said yes to that, then we follow up and said, do you perceive yourself to be in recovery? And from that, that's where we find that many people did report considering themselves to be in recovery. And for substance use, we found out to be seven in 10 adults who ever had a substance use problem consider themselves to be recovering or in recovery. And two in three adults who ever had a mental health issue consider themselves to be recovering or in recovery.
0: And is it possible to, say, look at 10 years or 25 years or the past, I don't know how long this has been going on, maybe 50 years, is the nation saner or have greater mental health issues? Are we more sober or less sober and so on?
1: And I understand the um, interest in that, but unfortunately, we can't really speak for trends quite that long. I can say that a version of the survey has been in place since 1971. However, many changes have taken place over the years. And we really can't talk about 50 year trends. Um, SAMHSA only began administering the survey in 1992. We went through some changes through the years. In 2002, we added a participant incentive, really a big break in comparability. In 2015, the survey was redesigned to feature an expanded section on prescription pain relievers. So, again, there was a little bit breaking comparability. And then, as I said, in 2021, we cannot compare it to any previous years. However, we do look forward to, as we continue on with this survey, returning to comparability across years.
0: Yes, because I think that would be one of the major values in having the whole survey program, wouldn't it be, you know, to have that comparability?
1: Absolutely. And we know that stakeholders do rely on these trends, and we are doing everything we can to return to that. Unfortunately, COVID um, disrupted a lot of our lives, and survey research was not immune to that, unfortunately. But we definitely plan to in the future, and we're doing, like I said, everything we can to get these trends going in the future, because we know... That really important data that really impacts programs and policies comes from this trend data.
0: Right. Let's talk about that. You have a huge body of knowledge, whether comparable to last year or not, even just for what's going on today in the country. It's really Mm -hmm. a great resource. What happens to it? Who else in the government uses it? And let's talk about federal and then maybe about state and local, where a lot of programs actually are delivered.
1: Absolutely. So one of SAMHSA's four core principles is a commitment to data and evidence. So obviously our annual NISDA results help inform our internal SAMHSA efforts to expand access to treatment options and recovery supports across the nation. Our data is definitely used by a variety of our federal partners, CDC, FDA. We know that they're using our data. Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality um, also is ne- using our data. NIH, number of offices in NIH as well. So we partner with them to make sure they're getting our data and make sure they're understanding our data, and then also partnering them with them to really disseminate data using um, their data sources along with ours to make sure that we're giving a fuller picture. And certainly state and local health departments use our data as well. We get a lot of data requests from our state stakeholders. And we also, through our regional administrators, are also in contact with state and regions to make sure that our data on state and regions is disseminated in those areas.
0: Because no agency and no program probably has enough money to do everything it would like to. But if a state or local entity indicates or sees a shift, say, towards drug abuse and away from alcoholism, for example, just making that up, they might be able to reallocate their program dollars towards where the worst problem is or the problem is worsening versus where it might be stable.
1: Absolutely. Prior to this role, I was a senior researcher at the New York City Department of Health working in mental health, and we certainly used the NISDA mental health data to really gauge, okay, at a national level, it's at this level. How does that compare to our local data, and how can we improve on this, and how do we compare to other jurisdictions?
0: Jennifer Honig is National Study Director at the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thank you. Have a great
0: day. And we'll post this interview along with a link to the latest study at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to The Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. To discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost... uh Shane, it's almost immeasurable, the things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I, uh, one of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities, and so i i knew that i knew that work a bit you know they they basically were in direct care and and i will say and on a obviously will say about my my family my mother and my aunt my grandmother they're saints uh but uh the the men and women that do take care of people with uh, b- profound disabilities are are really um you know we we can't do enough to salute them I, I Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. Uh, we get more than we give uh, working the Special Olympics, and you know. We, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do. But but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because. revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities that's just like I mean that's what we that's what we're trying to do we're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and and celebrate differences and that our athletes man are some of the grittiest people that you will meet and and uh and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is is how you'll learn it check us out uh you know uh on on our website uh that will link you to your local program you can follow through the the clicks of how to get involved and where what's closest to you you'll enjoy it i can promise you that well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.